Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly as our mate Derek Dyson puts his feet up for a week. Willem will cover everything that Derek normally does in stoppage time. There'll be plenty of time to chat about football. All the football we don't cover during the main part of the show at the back end. The Soccer is World Cup campaign remains on track, though, after a confidence-boosting result against the Vietnamese side, who probably deserved more than a 4-0 result. But with Saudi Arabia and Japan getting wins against Oman and China, respectively, a spot in Qatar remains in Australia's hands, but very much on a knife edge. We'll review what we saw and look ahead to next week's assignment with the Gulf Samba, as Oman are known, with our good mate Ernie Merrick, one of our most respected footballing coaches in the A-League over the years. Looking forward to that chat with Ernie. Willem will go through all the latest on the Socceroos as well as the Matildas before we speak to Georgia Yeomandale as the Matildas Asian Cup campaign continues. Not without a stumble, though, in the final group match against Thailand. Georgia will analyse what she's seen so far, what her expectations are ahead of the quarterfinal clash against South Korea. And as I mentioned earlier, we will wrap it up with our usual extended stoppage time. Michael, you are still over in Dubai. It feels like where we are in Melbourne, uh, I think we uh, could easily be confused for being in North Queensland. You've, you've actually got the better weather of, uh, of late for, uh, for the group that are doing this show. Oh, for those people who have not been uh, fortunate enough to travel in the Middle East during the Northern Hemisphere winter, it is spectacular over here. And I'll tell you what was spectacular was Tommy Rogic's form for the Socceroos, Rob. If you're a football fan and you're not smiling from ear to ear today, we're recording the show on Friday uh, just about uh, 15 hours after the Socceroos got the job done, uh, you'd have to... You'd have to be something completely wrong with you because uh, his performance last night was just one of the special uh, aspects of that game, as was the atmosphere at the ground, a full house in Melbourne after what that city's been through. And uh, great to see the Socceroos back in uh, Melbourne and doing their, straight in their stuff and keeping the World Cup well and truly, that, that dream well until we arrive. As you can tell, I'm even though it's extremely early in the morning here in Dubai, Rob, when we're recording this, uh, I am smiling from ear to ear my grin my grin will last at least until next tuesday when we play Oman. oh that grin is just feeling a little bit wobbly there edge we saw the other no 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 i think um you know obviously uh all soccer is fans are thinking what's ahead of us well if we can beat Oman, and if uh, saudi arabia if form plays true and saudi arabia beat japan all we need to do to make the world cup will be to slay Japan in Sydney and will qualify. So, I mean, that's uh, that's a plan that I'm sticking to, Rob, anyway. Edge, we all dearly hope you're right. We'll just have to get our own samurai swords out there that night at Homebush, mate, and uh, and do our best to slay the blue samurai. But, Willem, um, you'll probably be travelling up there, mate. You were there at Amy Park. Uh, it was an amazing atmosphere watching the Socceroos. Yes, I was there, Rob. It was magnificent to see Vietnamese Australians wearing Vietnamese colours, Vietnamese Australians wearing Australian colours. It reminded me a bit of the 
2006 World Cup match between Australia and Croatia, not that I was there, but John Didelitz has written about it. He said that it was sort of multiculturalism at a, at a meta level. There was no no division, really. Everyone sort of arm in arm enjoying themselves. So it was brilliant to be there. My other key takeaway, guys, is that you just can't keep the Dutch influence out of Australian football. <laughs> Renee Muhlenstein, one from one, and the Socceroos are still in the hunt for automatic World Cup qualification. Uh, the Aussies had a goal ruled out inside 25 seconds, but would score twice more in each half with Tom Rogic, as you said, Michael, proving the difference when the game was on the line. Yeah. McLaren has been left alone. Jamie McLaren. That one's going to count. And Jamie McLaren, well, if anybody was going to score in this venue, it was bound to be J-Mac. And Australia had the lead bang on the half-hour mark. At the other end, Australia have got their second goal, thanks to Tommy Rogic. And this time, he is not going to be denied by VAR. Slip through into the penalty area, and he makes no mistake. Rogic, McLaren, Goodwin, and McGree were the names on the score sheet, with the latter two scoring made in international goals. And we do now travel to Musket to play Oman at the Sultan Qaboos Stadium. Uh, a special moment, Michael, particularly for Craig Goodwin. You can see what his first international goal meant for him. Yeah, I think that was really, really special. And um, and if Craig actually rehearsed what he was going to do after he scored his maiden goal, uh, it was executed perfectly. And there was some, there's absolutely a beautiful photo of Craig uh, just on his knees with his uh, arm, in, arm reaching to the sky and just a, just a look of uh, pure relief and, 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 and some emotion sort of coming over Craig. Uh, I mean, it just proves uh, the journey of a footballer is amazing. His, his journey is incredible. I mean... He's been in sparkling form in uh, in the A League, and let's not forget he has also performed very well in in a much better league, which is the Saudi Professional League, where he was playing before he returned. Um, so well done, Craig. You've uh, you had a journey. You, you got your chance for the Socceroos, and you scored a very important goal and a very important World Cup qualifier, and and you deserve the right to have your moment. And uh, that'll be that photo. I'm sure will be um, around his family's house for a long time to come. Beautiful photo, William. I'm sure the one. I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Oh, I certainly do. And Robert has been confirmed that our next home qualifier against Japan will be at Stadium Australia, the scene of so many famous Australian uh, Socceroos moments. Hopefully, hopefully we can add another one. Oh, it's just going to be incredible. I mean, one of those moments you talk about where uh, uh, the, the, the multicultural nature of Australian uh, sport uh, was on display was that famous night back in 2005 i still remember doing vox pops for the radio at the time talking to uh, two brothers one who was born in sydney and that was barracking for uruguay and one that was born in montevideo that was barracking for the socceroos so uh, you know it's uh, it's uh, one of the great things about the way sport is celebrated in this country but uh, the um yeah the assignment against japan if there was a bigger match in the the nearly 20 years since that day um i'm not sure which one it would have been um you know we've obviously had uh, you know we haven't had it easy but uh, but back then we were still qualifying through the old route and we've been to the last three world cups via the uh, the asia qualifications but it just proves to you that you only need one stumble and uh, and you're in a world of pain which we are right now so you know it's um it's a massive massive task uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that more with ernie when uh, when we get him on uh, because uh, it, it'll be interesting to get his thoughts on, on the campaign so far. Let's not forget about Tuesday night in Oman. I watched no. the match between Saudi Arabia and Oman, Willem, and the Omanis acquitted themselves really very well. They are a, a well-organised team, and they took that match down to the wire, and um, uh, independent observers would be uh, 
you know, the Saudis were lucky to get away with a win, put yep. it that way. They could have could have easily shared the points, Oman. So that's going to be a big task for us. Yeah, you can look at that two ways, either that the Saudis are gettable or that, uh, or that yes, Oman... Uh, are going to be a very, very tough proposition indeed. So just to wrap those, uh, the rest of the Asian qualifiers in the seventh match day, Japan had a 2-0 win over China, so we're still a point off second. And over in Group A, normal services resumed really with Iran and South Korea, both enjoying 1-0 wins over Iraq and Lebanon. And the UAE defeated Syria 2-0. So nothing's really changed. Uh, the UAE sit third with a four-point buffer over Syria in fourth. So should we not be able to pull off your grand plan that you outlined at the top there, Michael, uh, and we do finish in third, it's, it's most likely that we're going to be playing the UAE. Let's change focus to the Matildas. We'll meet South Korea in the quarterfinals for the Asian Cup after completing the group stage with a 2 on win over Thailand. Prior to that, we'd had uh, wins against Indonesia 18-zip and the Philippines 4-0. Tony Gustafsson made nine changes for the Thailand match, but it was the experienced heads who again found the net with Emily Van Egmont and Sam Kerr scoring their fifth and seventh goals of the tournament. The other quarterfinals will see Japan, Japan rather, play Thailand, China play Vietnam and Chinese Taipei meet the Philippines. And this week, Michael, a very important, uh, momentous moment with Sam Kerr going past Tim Cahill's record for the most international goals for Australia. Not only that, uh, Willem, she also got the gong. She did. uh, uh, Samantha Kerr, OAM now, and that's very well deserved. I mean, uh, she has uh, really emerged uh, as a leader that... uh, leads by her actions rather than her words. Uh, But I thought she made some very good uh, little speeches this week about the importance of uh, the gong, which I think is a significant um, social moment for women's football. But also I thought her speech to the Indian players, a little um, message that she sent out to the Indian players was very special considering the Indian heritage in her family. I mean, everyone's feeling for the Indian uh, women's football team obviously were disqualified from the tournament because... Uh, 12, 12 of them tested positive at the one time. So uh, between the Indians and the Iranians' emergence uh, at the event for the first time, it's been a wonderful uh, social uh, aspects to this event. But uh, let's just, if we're talking Matildas, let's just uh, get through these next couple of games and let's just have the biggest Barney we can possibly hand with our uh, footballing rivals in Asia, Japan in a final. I'm looking forward to that. Massive, massive. Before we move on from the the Sam Kerr goal-scoring record, I just want to make an observation about uh, an article that Robbie Slater wrote during the week uh, where, you know, the headline obviously had a lot of clickbait in it where he was uh, arguing the case that uh, that we we shouldn't be making the comparison between uh, between men's and women's football and that uh, that Tim's record stands alone and Sam's record stands alone. I just wonder whether it was necessary to really double down on that point at the time because we're, you know, we're seeing Sam in the middle of a tournament um, celebrating a great record. She'll probably leave the record out of sight in women's football in Australia uh, by the time she puts the cue in the rack. Uh, yeah, look, I think anyone who observes the game knows that they're two separate records, but was it necessary to climb in at that moment and um, and um, put the boot in? No, it wasn't. I think um, if you follow Tim Cahill on Twitter or Instagram, just take a bit of a look at his reaction he was um Mm. he was uh incredibly celebratory in his uh uh congratulations to samantha kerr and uh, the significance of uh, what she achieved and uh the emergence of uh, her as a truly global footballing superstar across both genders so robbie um yeah uh used to love you love you when you were going around for west ham and Blackburn and the Socceroos and uh, from time to time he 
just misses the mark a little bit with his public commentary. Sad, a sad story around the Asian Cup that you uh, alluded to there, Michael, and that was the fact that host nation India were this week kicked out after a COVID outbreak precluded them from fielding the minimum 13 players for their match against Chinese Taipei. The Blue Tigresses, as they're known, had drawn nil all with Iran in their opening match, but that result was declared void and their final match against China was scrapped. Uh, they were disqualified for breaching Article 6 of the AFC's tournament regulations, which states all nations must complete their matches until elimination, which to me, Rob, just seems a little bit a little bit rigid, a little bit harsh. I mean, know India is a country where historically women's rights probably haven't been uh, where they should, and it's a nation where women's sort of empowerment is on the rise. We've seen the rise of their cricket team over the past five or so years, and now uh, uh, football is probably not a region where their men's side are going to have a great impact because cricket is, is just so strong and, and men's football is so competitive. But women's soccer is or football is somewhere where they really could uh, make a big impact over the next few years. So yeah, there's a touch of humiliation to it to, to me, I think. I think it's just really quite sad and a bit of an opportunity lost. Without question. It, it seems to me to be uh, bureaucrats within sport uh, uh, applying the, the letter of the law to uh, the uh, the most ridiculous degrees. Uh, surely there would have been a way to recruit uh, players in to, to at least get them on the park. For God's sake, we saw an 18-0 result in the Matildas' first game. It couldn't really get any worse than that. So, you know, so why didn't they do it? it, it, it in, and in the host country as well, you know, India is... Uh, is a nation that's uh, that's emerging um, from you know a, a, a history of uh, of economic woes and uh, and and women are taking a step forward to their rightful position of equality in, in that country and and for this to happen in a tournament that they're hosting was just wrong so hopefully there'll be better days ahead there will be better days ahead and uh, uh, and this will be looked back on as a, as a mistake but yeah I hundred percent agree with you Willem it was a bad decision. Uh, from sad to very, very sad, uh, over in Cameroon, eight people have died and another 50 were injured during a crowd crush at the African Cup of Nations. Stadium security reportedly closed the gates to the Alembe Stadium in the capital city of Yaoundé ahead of the uh, or Cameroon, the host nation, uh, their match against Comoros. Officials said 50,000 people arrived at the 60,000-seat stadium, but the doors were closed due to the uh, COVID crowd capacity of 80%. So, Rob, this looks tragic and sad it doesn't look malicious or nasty or reckless it doesn't seem like people were misbehaving or or conducting themselves in a, in a dangerous manner but it just looks like a, a very costly blunder well i haven't seen it written anywhere but i'm going to make the comparison that this is a tragic echo to what happened in the euro final and the disgraceful example that the english fans gave to uh, to those in africa that this could be done that when you see empty seats in a stadium that all you got to do is turn up and you can crash through the gates and get in and the lives of children were lost as a result so i just hope that those um, fools who ought to be in jail that started that off way back then look at this and and if they if they're thinking they need to take a bit of responsibility then yes you do look in the mirror um there's some fault in your hands and blood on your hands as far as i'm concerned yeah look i'm just any other week this would have been the top story wouldn't it because of uh, just the significance of what's happened it's just a it's just a very very sad situation and you know i don't want to um uh, I've only read reports, you know, um, I think the real circumstances of what happened are still emerging. But, uh, you know, having been to Africa and been to a lot of football in Africa, both international and club, um, I can, you know, I'm not surprised something like this has happened, but, but you can't plan for how the crowds will react in Africa. They, they, they're very uh, organic and uh, in the way that they... they uh, go about things but um yeah this is just a tragic tragic uh, situation and um 
you know, I'm just I'm just lost for words. I don't really know what to say. I don't know who to blame. Um, it's just that uh, when you know young people go to the football to see their nation play uh, a big event and get inspired and um, and have some joy in their life, and then and this happens, you know, it's just uh, it's just very very sad. And and I'm feeling for all the the organisers. I'm feeling for uh, you know the Cameroon government. I'm feeling for the, the families involved. Everybody. Everybody's a loser in this, and um, I know there'll be some inquiries, and um, obviously blame will be apportioned appropriately. But uh, it's just terribly, terribly sad. Yeah, you couldn't have said it any better, Edge. Um, and uh, and I know a lot of people listening to to my comparison might think I'm drawing a pretty long bow, but uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those situations where you you look uh, at the comparison and you think, well, what if somebody, what if a group of guys were sitting at home uh, in Cameroon thinking, you know, what? There's twenty thousand. Well, yeah, you're Remember, right. They Rob, did it at Wembley. You know, completely legitimate to draw that conclusion. And um, yeah, it's just it, it's just and, and that's and that's the, the point is that. Uh, what, what women made, you know, in, in Wembley, uh, this could have happened. Mm, yeah, 100%, easily. And uh, and and if it had, you then wonder whether the Cameroon tragedy would have happened. Maybe there would have been greater security around preventing something like this. We don't know. It's uh, it's happened. But, um, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we pray and hope that the families uh, who are devastated by the losses of, uh, of their children and their, their fathers and their mothers and sisters uh, who attended that match um, have some yeah. solace. And also... When I've been to see um, African football matches, every every nation's um, peoples react differently to football. Mm-hmm. It's the one of the great things about working in the sport that when you get to see the different reactions. And in Africa, they are over the top passionate about it. I mean, over the top. They get um, old people, young people. It just get they get so excited. Yeah. It's like it's it's like a highlight of their life to go to the football yeah. to see their national team play. And I can that's what I'm thinking about when. I was sort of, you know, imagining what happened at the stadium is that they just would have been so excited to get into the ground and then when the gates were closed, yeah, it just would have been pandemonium yeah. and almost uncontrollable, you know. So that's, that's probably what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well said. All right, well, guys, let's wrap it up there. Um, we will uh, talk to Ernie Merrick after the break, two-time Australian Coach of the Year. He won two premierships. He won two grand finals. He's an AO as well. Uh, he's one of the most respected voices. And we got him on, we're getting him on this week because we want to analyse the the way the Socceroos played against Vietnam and whether they've got the chops to, uh, to get the job done to go all the way and qualify in their own right over the next couple of months. Ernie Merrick, stick around. He's next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. And we talked to lots of football people on this show, but none uh our favourites uh, to a greater degree than the great Ernie Merrick, two-time Australian A-League Coach of the Year. He won two premierships, two championships. He's an AO as well, and he was watching the Socceroos play Vietnam in that critical World Cup qualifier. He joins us now. How are you, Ernie? I'm very good, boys. How are you doing? Yes, all the better for speaking to you, Ernie. Um, and Ernie, uh, this was 
well, it was a must-win match um, given the uh, the stumbling um, efforts of the Socceroos over the past three qualifiers. But uh, but they got the job done and uh, and did it in front of a full house with a lot of partisan Vietnamese expats making a lot of noise in the stadium. Uh, Arnie was in a hotel room. Rene Mullenstein was uh, was on the, uh, the the in the technical area managing things. So so what's your assessment of what your what you saw? Uh, Vietnam looked really good value for the. Four nil, like they could have easily scored a goal. Uh, what's your assessment of what you saw from uh, uh, from the uh, the coach's point of view? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a must win game. That's what, I leave that one to the media. And since I'm a coach and always have an excuse for not winning a game, I, I thought it was the appropriate game at the right time and the result that they did really need to have because. They'd done so well obviously the last three games, then two draws and a loss against Japan. So they needed to bounce back from that and bounce back in style. And I was very particularly impressed with the lineup. It was a very attacking lineup. It wasn't a case of worrying about Vietnam being a bit of a banana skin and a, a, a group of players that had nothing to lose to throw everything at the Australians. And the Australians thinking, well, we better play it safe here. I like their very attacking lineup, particularly the midfield with Moy, Irvin, and Rogic. But all round the ground, it was very solid, and uh, the players went forward and they went forward in numbers. So it was good to see. Uh, can you talk to me about Matthew Leckie, Ernie? Um, the fans uh, gave him a lot of criticism um, at different times during uh, the course of his career. He hasn't scored. Um, a lot of goals for the national team and, you know, international football is hard to score at the best of time. But can you just tell us about his importance to the team and, and, and the role that he plays? Matthew Leckie is an outstanding player and uh, and he's got skill, he's got speed and he's got an enormous work rate. I was very disappointed to find out that he signed for Adelaide before signing for Melbourne Victory. I never forgave myself. <laughs> we were a day late in getting into training. But um, I, I really, there's always this, very small minority who are very vocal and loud and critical. But I don't know how you can criticise Matthew Leckie. He's had a wonderful career. He's played in Germany. He's always represented the Socceroos and given everything. And uh, I thought he played really well. With his pace up front, and he comes inside from the left wing, Boyle comes inside from the right wing, McLaren gets in behind centre-backs. Those three caused havoc. But it was difficult for them because Vietnam virtually played with five defenders, four midfielders and one striker in the first half. So there wasn't a lot of room to move around in. But with Rogic picking his passes forward, Irvin supporting him, and Aaron Moy playing an unusual number six sort of role for the national team, it really worked well. But I, I reckon Matthew Leckie is a wonderful player. Every national team has a few players in and around the national team set up who don't get opportunities because they're maybe the second, third or fourth pick, but they're fantastic players. And um, one of those players scored a goal last night. He's been in and around the national team, um, not in a lot of squads. He's um, he's had an incredible football journey uh, in his own right, and his name's Craig Goodwin. Um, just as a, a, a football-loving man that you are and a coach that you are, did you, um, did you take a moment just to be happy for Craig after he got on the pitch and he scored that beautiful goal and, and his reaction to that. Did you uh, did you buy into that moment as being a special moment? Yes, believe it or not, I actually smiled when he scored. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I thought he took it well. He, he made a great run. The ball was played in behind. I'm just trying to remember who played it in behind. 
was it McGree or uh, someone played was, a ball from distance? It was it was Matthew Ryan. It was Matthew Ryan who who uh, picked him out uh, with one of those uh, beautiful long clearances. Yeah. Just timed his run beautifully. He was on side. The goalkeeper closed him down. He got in behind the full back or one of the three centre backs. Tipped the ball over. Took his time and uh, looked like he was under no pressure at all. But no doubt he would have felt a lot of pressure just before he struck that ball. But he was calm. He was collected, and uh, he deserves his run. He's done well. And that was the right time to bring him on, I also thought. Uh, you mentioned Matthew Ryan. I think he's been incredible as well. He's a very good captain of the team. He didn't have a lot to do, but when he was required, he was rock solid. And uh, there's a reason why um, they, they, they keep picking him, the national coach keeps picking him in, in goals because he's just such a settled, controlled uh, the right type of personality for a goalkeeper. Most goalkeepers are not cases. Matt, Matthew Ryan's not, and he does a great job every week. This is Box to Box. We're talking to all of Australia's most successful football coaches, certainly in the A-League over the past, well, the 15 years that he was in the A-League, Ernie Merrick, about the Socceroos versus Vietnam. Now, the obvious question to ask a coach is the level of disruption that would have occurred around the camp with Graham Arnold testing positive to COVID and having to watch the game from a hotel room. Renee Muhlenstein, obviously a, a man of incredible experience in his own right. He's at Old Trafford and he's been alongside of some of the great coaches, uh, but to step up in his own right uh, and and take charge of the side. Would you have uh, expected that a group of professionals to the standard of the, the Socceroos that we see these days, particularly in light of what uh, we've had to all get used to over the last couple of weeks, would have not had a lot of disruption with Arnie uh, not uh, in the technical area? Uh, how, how would you have interpreted that from uh, from a coach's point of view, Ernie? Well, as you say, Rennie Millenstein has had tremendous uh, experience in the game especially at Manchester United, so he knows all about pressure. And this would have been a pressure game for him. But some coaches that come in and uh, when they're nervous, they pass the nerves on to the players. But he did the right thing. I don't know how he did it and how he handled it, and I've never met him. But the players looked very relaxed. They, to me, they controlled the whole game. I, I had heard uh, I watched the game on television. I wasn't there live. But I heard Andy Harper saying they lost the midfield in the second half. I, I'm not sure that that's correct. I thought they controlled the midfield. The back line was rock solid. Degenek and Sainsbury were solid as. Uh, young Joe King got caught out a couple of times, but what a great uh, performance for a 21-year-old. And Karacic yeah. on the right-hand side, he, he did a great job. So the, the coach must have made, made them feel comfortable challenged but determined and uh, and they went out and they played their own game and unlike you know a coach that puts them under a lot of pressure because they're under pressure and before you know it they lose sight of and focus of what their jobs are but they all went out they did a good job and it was good to see Jamie McLaren score up front as well again. Ernie that man Jamie McLaren I think it's probably pretty well agreed across Australia that he's the best uh, natural finisher that we have but perhaps the criticism is at times that he's not involved in the build-up enough that he wants to be the final touch but I think last night he was involved from the very start there was a lovely little layoff for the disallowed goal inside the first minute and I thought he was very much part of the attack rather than just being the sort of the point at the end to finish it off do you see that as uh, I mean he's into his late 20s now but do you see that as part of his game that he's continuing to develop and and something that he is starting to have some success with at international level? I think he is continuing to develop and his job is to get in behind and be the last touch of the ball. So if he does too much work, uh, he's not doing his job and if you don't want him back helping out the midfield or, or chasing down 
and defenders coming out too much. His job is to get in behind. He does it well. His spinal touch is excellent. And it's interesting that he's not the tallest player in the team. There was two defenders on him when he got that header. He took it well, and he's just a great finisher. So, again, people can criticise and say they don't do this, they don't do that. He's a striker. He's there to score goals. He's got to be in the box when it counts, and that's what he does, and he does it well. And what about the midfield going forward? You've referenced it a couple of times, and it did work beautifully last night with Irvine, Moy, and Rogic. But we do have Aydin Rustic, who's available for the next match in Oman, and four doesn't go into three, or it can go into... In, you can have the ball in there at the same time, but probably not with this current formation. Uh, and maybe the lack of a, a true holder when we come up against the stronger sides, and if we do make Qatar, could be a concern. So if you were in charge for Oman, with Rustic back in the mix and in charge going forward, how would you be structuring that midfield uh, to get the best out of them? I'd rather not answer that question because it's like me telling the national coach what to do and I'd rather okay. not do that. All I'd say is that Moy, they virtually played a 4-2-3-1 in defence, but as soon as they went into attack, uh, Irvin, who virtually plays the number eight, went up alongside Rodic and they virtually played with an eight and a ten, almost two tens, because as he said, the first goal that Rodic scored, the person that was in an offside position was Irvin. Now I know the boy Jackson have him really well he grew up with my kids and his work rate's phenomenal so he can play a range of positions in midfield I think he can play as a, the holding midfield but Moy who doesn't have the same level of fitness it suited him in this game and that gives him another 90 minutes or almost 70 minutes before I think he came off Moy but uh, Jackson Irvin is just in, improving every week he's, he's at St Pauli who are close to top of Bundesliga 2 and um Rogic at Celtic's just getting better and better. So just the combination of those three, to me, was the difference in the team because they kept setting up chances and they kept creating chances for other players. Ernie, you mentioned Tom Rogic. You wrote a, you wrote a wonderful article about uh, the hospitality Ange Postacoglu showed you when you were in uh, Scotland recently. Um, you must have seen Tommy go around on the field at that training that day, but he just looks like he's... Um, right on top of his physical conditioning, which makes him look just so much more silky smooth. I mean, um, how good is Tom Rogic? Is he the best player in Scotland? And, you know, what can he do for the national team going forward? Can we ride on his shoulders all the way to uh, qualification? Well, hopefully there's more than Tom uh, performing. Uh, for sure. To, and But... I think everything he said is true. Unfortunately, I didn't see him when I was in Glasgow. Okay. He um, he was injured and he's 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 in a position where he cops a fair few tackles, obviously. Uh, people are yeah. trying to stop him, especially in Scotland where most people tackle above the neck. And uh, <laughs> Tom Tom is, is just settled into playing very creative football. He's always safe on the ball, rarely gives it away. And his forward passes in behind defenders are what sets up the likes of McLaren, Boyle, Leckie, Goodwin, etc. He's just a great passer of the ball. I think he's one of the best players in Scotland at the moment. And uh, it's just good to see. But Angie Postacoglu is certainly getting the best out of him. And Ernie, before we let you go, we uh, we should give credit uh, to the Vietnamese side, a, a, a nation who are passionate about football and, and rising through the ranks. Uh, their time will come in future. Uh, they were unlucky. Nguyen Cong Phong uh, was denied by a brilliant save by Matty Ryan on the 63-minute mark. They could easily have scored there. Uh, they they were uh, were definitely good value for, uh, for their efforts. And uh, it was good to see them... Uh, 
uh, you know, extremely competitive throughout without being condescending to, to their aspirations. No, you're spot on there. I, uh, I have experience playing against uh, Vietnam. I coached Hong Kong against Vietnam. Mind you, half the Hong Kong players didn't turn up for that match, but that's another story. But uh, they, they beat us 2-1, and um, Vietnam is a country that's improving in their football all the time. They're investing in the game. They have got some terrific players. I believe this side had a few players out. The captain was out. There were some players out with COVID. But they, they're the bottom of the, the ladder. But they're going to be a side for the future. I think they play very exciting, attacking football. I just think they're a wee bit intimidated away from home here in Melbourne in the first half. The second half, they, they stuck another striker forward and they went with three in the midfield rather than four. And uh, they did cause some problems. Uh, a couple of chances, close Close chances, but as you said, Matthew Ryan just he's just there when it counts, and so are the defenders. But uh, it was great also to see the number of Vietnamese people that went along to to support them. I thought they they created a great atmosphere, uh, as I could see from on television. And um, apart from the weather, everything went really well both ways. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it was great to see a full house there as well, COVID notwithstanding. Bernie, you've been very generous with your time, mate. We loved you uh, in charge of not only the victory, but uh, the various clubs, Newcastle, Wellington, that you've been uh, uh, in charge of over the years. And uh, we're really grateful for your analysis as a coach of uh, of this uh, vital match uh, as the uh, the precarious World Cup qualification path continues for the Socceroos. Thanks, boys. It's a pleasure. And go St Kilda. <laughs> yes, of course. We uh, we we did, we did talk about this last week that Ernie is the mentor to Brent Ratton uh, for our Southern States fans and AFL supporters. That uh, Ernie uh, is a man for all seasons and colours, and he's now going. To well, I'm working with the coaches, with the soccer coaches, with football coaches, uh, Australia. But to be invited to work with uh, with an AFL coach is just a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Just helped them to break that 54-year drought, 55-year drought, only 1966, uh, for those who are unaware. But, uh, mate, uh, wouldn't that be a, a, a wonderful little, uh, you know, string to your bow if, uh, if you could put that one down? <laughs> Another championship, you reckon? <laughs> exactly, mate, exactly. Good on you. And no we'll watch it, uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, boys. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box, and wasn't that a great chat with Ernie Merrick? Uh, he's the Dower Scotsman, but he's got a good sense of humour too, and um, and uh, great analysis that you don't get to hear all that often these days. Uh, from the, the great man, Ernie. Well, we're going to talk more Socceroos. We're going to talk more Matildas in a moment. But before we do, I'm going to talk Chemist Warehouse. Uh, because right now, at our favourite pharmacy, there's a massive 40% off the Wagner Vitamins range. That includes Wagner High Strength Zinc, 120 tablets for just $5.99. Willem, have you got your zinc? Are you uh, making sure you've got plenty of iron in your diet? I bet you do. Oh, yeah. Because, yep. Uh, iron strong. Well done. <laughs> Wagner Meta B Plus, 100 capsules, just $9.59 edge. You're getting your vitamin B, your Wagner Vitam Mega B is the best there is. Yes, I'm getting getting all of that, Rob, and more. Well done, boys. Wagner Men's Women's I need a bit of vitamin B this morning here in Dubai. <laughs> Won't add two hours sleep. 
Australia and Dubai. 50 plus multivite 100 capsules for 1079. Wagner sleep well, you might not need this edge this time around. 100 capsules, you'll be very tired at the end of this day. $13.19. Wagner vegan evening primrose oil, 60 capsules. That's the one Just I want. I don't know that evening primrose oil is quite for men. Edge serves a different purpose. Sale excludes Wagner Professional, Camus Warehouse. They're great savings over every single day. All right, guys. Um, that's exactly what I wanted. A bit of action and a bit of life for our bop, great bop. friends at Chemist Warehouse. Hey, Willem, uh, we talked Socceroos uh, with Ernie just now. We're going to talk to Georgia Yeomandale and uh, and go through all the Asian Women's Cup, uh, well, at least the group stages and the, the knockout ahead. But um, but there's plenty more stories around both teams and, and players who didn't necessarily even make the squads uh, uh, that you got for us. No, that's spot on, Robin. A couple of big transfers as well. It's all for the Green and Gold Army. Uh, the Roos, they're back up and running, aren't they, after the 4-0 win? And Qatar remains firmly in their own hands. Take the first sure step to heading over with them today by signing up to the Green and Gold Army's mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. And, Michael, I was clicking around on the Green and Gold Army website. It is one of my favourites. I've got it bookmarked there, and I realised it's not just the Qatar World Cup on offer, but the Asian Cup 2023 in China as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, don't forget about... Um, uh, there could be a playoff too. Imagine uh, slipping over to the UAE to see uh, Australia and UAE in a playoff, or even over to Qatar in June to well, see hang Australia on, Edge, play a South American. Can I ask you a question? Um, yes. Let's let's assume we finish third and we get through the UAE. Um, will you be taking a group to what will potentially be a a South American assignment with? Uh, one of the uh, the well, let's what have we got? Chile, Uruguay, Colombia. Um, I think even Ecuador are, are um, a chance of finishing in that fifth spot. Yes, we'll be taking a group to play them in Qatar in the air-conditioned stadium because mm. that's where that game will be played, Rob. In yes, a one-off, of course, yes. In a one-off uh, play. So yes, absolutely. In the event. Uh, which is this is a completely hypothetical scenario that's not mm. going to happen because we will beat Oman and we will beat Japan and we will beat Saudi Arabia, so we'll directly qualify. Having said that, in the event that we don't and we have to go through the playoff route, yeah, we'll be having a tour over here to Dubai to uh, the UAE at Maktoum Stadium, and then um, we'll spend a bit of time uh, swanning around this joint and having a good time. And then, obviously, once we dispatch the UAE because uh, that's a home and away league, we'll then uh, obviously take care of Uruguay or Chile or maybe even Peru, Columbia. I think, are in the mix. Yeah, yes. Peru's in the mix. Uh, we, we, we owe Peru after Russia. We do. Yeah, so uh, that'll that'll be something to look forward to in the event that happens. But uh, let's just still focus on what's ahead of us. And uh, can I just talk about what Ange Postacoglu said about Tom Rogic off the top? Um, asked uh, about Rogic's international inclusion with the Socceroos. Um now set to miss games against Dundee, Hearts and Rangers. Postoglu in his typical Australian style told reporters, disappointed. I mean, he's selected for his national team because he's a hell of a player. I'd be disappointed if he wasn't selected for his national team. Tom's been an outstanding servant for his for this football club and he's been an outstanding servant for his national team and he wants to get them to go to their fourth consecutive World Cup. So not disappointed at all. Uh, and uh, arguably, he's been the best player in the competition here for some time. I want to see him do well for his national team, not just because it's Australia. So that's Ange Postacoglu going into bat for the club versus country crap that sometimes comes around. I think it might be because it's Australia, just a little bit. 
just a little bit. <laughs> a couple of the guys who are also going to be pretty important have sealed moves this week. The first of those is Milos Degenek, who is headed to MLS side Columbus Crew. He said that this is going to give him the best chance to play at the World Cup and to prolong his career. Uh, he signed there on a two-year deal. Also a two-year deal for Martin Boyle. He's left Hibs for Al Faisley in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the deal has reportedly been worth three million pounds, which is about five point six Australian. And into Martin's pocket will be going two point eight million Australian a season. So that's going to set him and his young family up for life. So well done to him. And he's also said it's see you later rather than goodbye to Hibernian. Michael Maslawongo continues to feature for Sheffield Wednesday, and I think he's still in our best six midfielders if he can put it together over the next ten or so months. He was the best player on the park in the first half of their three-two loss to Oxford United. So maybe that speaks a little bit to his fitness. But uh, yeah, I still think there's a, a spot for him, particularly in the more defensive role. Uh, which we're, which I still think we're lacking. Yeah, if he can get going, he's definitely um, in the in the soccer squad. If a fit Maslowongo is available and we make the World Cup, uh, I think you've got to pick him because he's one of those defensive midfield uh, positions. Uh, he, he can hold that down well. And um, uh, people um, have sort of forgotten about Massimo. We haven't because those of us in the know know that um, the clubs that he's playing at, he's the main man and uh, they rely on him heavily. Um, you know, QPR for three seasons relied on him. So, and he did a, he, he did a fantastic job as a very good young professional holding up uh, holding up some clubs that uh, can't afford a lot of good players, can only afford one or two. And he, he was one, one of the one of two. And I've got great respect for those pros who take on those roles at smaller clubs where they're the main man. And uh, he's doing that at Sheffield Wednesday. And he's obviously had some injury. So um, we wish him all the best and uh, hope he can keep uh, firing and uh, get himself back into contention for the Socceroos. Yeah, and there'd be a fair element of redemption there as well if he can, because he didn't play in 2014. He was there as the sort of the bolter, the kid, if you like. But 2018, the fact that he didn't feature under Burban Marvik was a bit of a tra- travesty, really, uh, especially going into that third game when he picked the same midfield and they were all just a bit tired. So we'd love to see him get back and uh, play to World Cup if possible. Uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, he is one who could be there as well uh, come the end of the year. Uh, he's hit the ground running at Hearts. He laid off an assist on debut and then played most of their league clash against Celtic, which Andrew side won 2-1. And just odd to Celtic, they're still four points behind Rangers, but could have uh, the chance, well, they will have the chance to cut into that this Thursday when the Old Firm Derby is on. That's uh, Thursday morning Australian time, and it's going to be on KO Sports through BN, so plenty of accessibility for Australian fans. And a guy who isn't a socceroo, but he is an Australian, and he's one who's left uh, an indelible mark on Australian football, is Bezar Barisha, and he's retired aged 36. Uh, unfulfilled start to his career, I think even by his admission, he played for Armini Belfield and Hamburger and Horsens, but he came to Brisbane Roar in 2011 and he exploded, scoring the uh, most goals as a foreigner in uh, Australian domestic history on his way to four championships. Rob, another one we can thank Ange Postacoglu for, really. Um, so many controversial, brilliant moments. The blatant dive in the 2012 grand final uh, when he invited Pascal Boschart to the, the car park and uh, also the first goal in the uh, 2015 <laughs> grand final for victory, uh, which was just a pure striker's finish. Uh, he gave so much and more as a foreigner uh, in terms of embracing our A-League and giving it everything. I know there's, uh, you know, an argument for, for other players to be the uh, the best foreigner. Uh, in fact, not, not just the player that contributed most um, to his clubs and for pure entertainment value, but uh, I, I think he's probably my favourite of all time. He, you know, for a guy who, uh, you know, who... who uh, Sort of had the look of a of a player that could have strutted his stuff on a bigger stage. He he, he lit up the A League for for a long long time, didn't he? 
And Edge, we, we struggle for pure natural finishers in this country, and he's one. So he and his family are Australian citizens. He's said in the past he'd love to come back and do his coaching here. I hope that this last move back overseas to where he's from hasn't sort of – I mean, he can do what he like, but you would hope that he would come back here and continue to contribute because we need him, basically, to uh, keep contributing as a coach. Yeah, look, um, um, he's a character, isn't he? And the, the sport needs characters, and we've enjoyed his journey in, in the sport. One of the there's two great uh, things about uh, one story about best, which I've heard is Archie Thompson talk about when he turned up at Melbourne Victory and he sort of walked into the change room and said, "Archie, move over, brother." The the, the main man's arrived, and uh, which I thought was pretty interesting a way to introduce yourself to Archie. And then um, uh, for me, I, I was out at Danny Young Thunder um, a, a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, the Albanian community in Melbourne's club and uh, Bessart turned up because obviously that's his heritage. And uh, it was like, I tell you what, it was like the Beatles had arrived. It was <laughs> unbelievable. It was, I've never seen anyone in my life mobbed as much as Bessart Berisha at uh, Danny Young Thunder. It was truly joyous to see. He was to the Albanian community in Australia, but in particular, in Melbourne when he was, because uh, it's, you know, it's reasonably sizable in Melbourne. He was uh, an absolute icon and he carried it very, very well, was often just a interested uh, onlooker down at Danny Nong. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, he, and he, he stood there and he signed every bit of paper, every shirt uh, uh, for hours while the, the BPL game was going on. Uh, so yeah, well done, Bessart. You're a, uh, you're, you're a great, um, a great person, a great character. And uh, let's hope he, remains a, a very big part of football in Australia for many years to come. Thursday's World Cup qualifier in Melbourne saw the induction of the 2021 legends into the Australian Hall of Fame, or the Football Hall of Fame, that is. Uh, Kate Gill, Heather Garriock, Mark Schwarzer, and Joseph Huxley Honeyset were all inducted. Uh, I think we all know a fair bit about Kate and Heather and Mark, so... Uh, Joseph, though, uh, particularly interesting. Uh, born in 1890... Um, had a key hand in the establishment of the football federations in both Tasmania and then later the ACT. Uh, he was a member of the inaugural teams of South Hobart, of Southern Tasmania and Tasmania. And he then scored, uh, a, rather he captained Tasmania to the first ever win against an international side uh, when China to, to it in 1923. So uh, that might be a means to revive the vault, Rob, Tasmania against China in 1923. Uh, and in between times, he served Australia in the First World War, earning... earning um, a bunch of honours, including a, a military cross. So that's, uh, you know, I like to pride myself on knowing the history of Australian football, but that is one I wasn't aware of and definitely one to look into. Well, if you look online, you'll find at the Australian War Memorial Head site, the citation um, for Captain Joseph Huxley Honeyset, 47th Battalion, reported wounded on the 11th of April, 1970, 1917, in German dugout with Captain North and Lieutenant Fletcher, the Huns returned and Captain North bolted but was shot and he's now in London. He thinks that Fletcher and Honeyset were taken prisoners, but Colonel Sims, who reported Honeyset wounded, said he saw him on a stretcher and spoke to him up to now, no further confirmation. So he was missing in action as the, at that point, as the citation reads. So for people who love their football and love their Australian war history, uh, jump on and you'll find out more. Lots of personal letters um, for a, a man who uh, has been honoured um, quite rightly all these years later. And he did um, come back to Australia and live out his days in the ACT where he would yeah, set up the Federation and was a, a player, a ref, and a, just a great contributor to the game. So, uh, yeah, well done to uh, Joseph Joe Huxley Honeyset and to the other uh, the other entrance as well. Very well deserved all round. Let's have a quick... What a, what a, what a double... It's there's a great double barrels going around, but Huxley Honeyset, that is a cracker. 
<laughs> well, people will just make them up these days. I, I, I know, wonder, they don't. I just often wonder, that, but what happens in the modern day, completely aside from uh, um, Captain Honeyset, when two made-up double bangers marry each other, what do they do? Are they suddenly going to have four do? surnames? No one really, I ask that question a lot. No <laughs> one really No one really says, you know, well, I mean, what do they do? Do you'd they have four your, names? You'd both pick your favourite, wouldn't you? <laughs> just make you up would. a new one. Uh, quick shoot around the A-League women's competition. Sydney against Melbourne City 3-0. Michael, is it time to declare the Premiership Sydney? Sydney's? Oh, I think it is, yeah. yeah. They've um, been able to manage the um, losing key players to the Matildas, COVID and everything. Um, yeah, so that was a very good performance because Melbourne City were entitled to be a contender. They'd been building into the season, um, but Sydney took them apart, didn't they, Willem? City do have a game in hand on them, but the gap is seven points. And in such a short season as the other women's points on the board is really what matters. Uh, Sydney have always had a plethora of scoring options, but they've got another one very much uh, putting a nap up in lights, Michael. And that is Rachel Lowe, four goals in four games. Uh, and if you have a look at the golden boot tally, Hannah Wilkinson is first with eight goals for City. But then four of the next five are all Sydney FC. Mackenzie Hawksby with five. Uh, Chelsea Dorr was the outlier for Adelaide with four. And then Courtney Vine, Rachel Lowe and Seamson all on four goals Piece. Yeah, Rachel, you, we've talked about Rachel on the show previously. Um, obviously, I'm lucky enough to work with Rachel and um, have believed in her talent for quite a while. And um, she's, um, yeah, she's right up there in terms of uh, quality. And um, she's just had a couple of little issues uh, um, between last season and this season. So it's taken a little while to get going. But um, now she's uh, fully fit. Uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the little touches she has, her technique in, I mean, she's those uh, four goals she scored to Willem, um, three of them, I mean, absolute fantastic mm -hmm. goals. Yep. You know, technically very, very strong goals. And she's um, on the way and um, she'll be in the Matildas before we know it, no doubt about it. Another player who's fast establishing themselves as a star of the domestic scene uh, in the men's competition is Ben Falami at Melbourne Victory. Uh, been an interesting journey for Ben at Victory. He came from Ipswich Town on loan and I don't think he was maybe, maybe he was leaning on the fact that he had that contract there and like the rest of the club, he was pretty poor in the first half of last season. Uh, and then the club continued to be poor in the second half, but he really gritted his teeth and he's Looks like he's built himself a professional career and now he's got the confidence. Uh, he ripped Sydney FC apart, really. He scored a really nice finish. He could have had another one from close range and then set it up for uh, for Robbie Cruz. He is a star on the rise and that was a cracking game. Uh, victory Sydney 2-2, Rob. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it's it's just great to see some A-League and um, and more A-League matches um, coming up this weekend in both the uh, men's and the women's. Uh, you know, we sort of took for granted uh, for so long the fact that, uh, you know, matches would be scheduled and played. But um, but when we actually get a game and it's a good and entertaining game, uh, then um, it's a, a bit of a relief, isn't it, mate? All right, we will wrap it up there. For the time being, there's plenty more to come. We've got some more time in stoppage time to pick up on any of the stories that you haven't got to yet, my friend. But we are going to talk to Georgia Yamandale next, former Matilda. She's a very important part of the Channel 10 Paramount Plus commentary team and watching uh, every minute of the Women's Asian Cup campaign as uh, our, uh, our green and gold ladies do... Uh, you know, the job that's really expected of them to, to navigate qualifying, but they've got a big assignment against South Korea. Georgia Yamandale after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box, and we've been watching both our women and men's uh, this past week, and the... Uh, 
Matilda's performed to expectations. Many uh, would have thought uh, after an amazing start to the Asian Women's Cup, uh, they've uh, had a little bit of a return to earth in the, the final game of the group stages. And Georgia Yamandale has been watching it all for the 10 Network. How are you, Georgia? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, not at all, Georgia. So, so we thought that the the thumping against Indonesia, eighteen nil. Uh, Indonesia, just a, a a fledgling nation in terms of women's football, but uh, the uh, the four nil result against the Philippines, who are a genuine outfit, uh, was more to expectations. And then finally, Thailand, who go through to the knockout stage as one as one of the two best third place sides. Uh, obviously, uh, Sam Kerr and, and others sat on the bench. Uh, Tony Gustafsson uh, was trying to negotiate, obviously, a clean sheet. Didn't work out that way. Have we met expectations? Uh, is this uh, the minimum standard of what we, we, uh, we should have expected the girls to have done? Yeah, well, I think that it's been um, mixed reviews of, of the tournament so far. I've been really excited to see that we have mixed up our starting lineup a few times in the group stage. Um, but the challenge comes now is when we face South Korea in this quarterfinal and moving on to potentially Japan in the in the final when we when and if we get to that point um, but I guess the great thing that we have seen is is that changing of that lineup um, and when we look forward to the the women's world cup we need to be able to rotate our squad and I think that that's something that Tony Gustafson's trying to do here is is find depth in that squad Georgia, before I sort of uh, launch into a few questions about the Matildas, I just want you to reflect on the heartbreak of the tournament, which was India having to be uh, permanently disqualified because of not being able to field a team because of a spate of COVID tests. Considering the, the importance of this event to the emergence of some pretty important nations to the future of women's football in the Asia Asian region, that was just a devastating blow for the hosts, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and it's um, it's heartbreaking for I think everyone in the tournament and um, all football fans around the world is you want to see these emerging nations competing in these tournaments and growing the fan pool. Obviously, them having a um, the the host of the Asian Cup. Um, although you couldn't have fans at the ground, it was, you know, it was a great thing for, for football in India and it was heartbreaking to see them have to pull out. The question mark did come around, should they have been or should the teams have been allowed bigger squads purely because of the, the threat of COVID and being in a biosecurity bubble, not being able to bring in replacement players. So I think something for, for the tournament organisers to reflect on and... Um, but, yeah, on what happened, it's it's devastating for India. So I noticed that uh, there's been five players uh, handed a, a tournament start or a, tar- a tournament starting debut. Courtney Nevin, Holly McMurray, Remy Seamson, Kyra Cooney-Cross uh, and uh, obviously Claire Wheeler. Um, who's been the standout for you? For, for me, Courtney Vine's little cameo uh, against uh, the Philippines was, was pretty special. But um, Claire Wheeler's acquitted herself pretty well as well. Yeah, both of those names definitely stand out for me. Courtney Vine's been impressive given that, you know, she made her senior debut not only and then the following game her um, starting debut. So fantastic for her to be able to step straight into that international environment. And it is a step up. Um, She's proving that she's going to be a competitor for a starting spot in this squad. Um, 
I think that the assets that she has, no one else in that team has at the moment. So an exciting one to, to have there. But Claire Wheeler has been a standout for me. And I think that um, against Thailand was definitely one of the best players on the park. She's proving that she can play 90 minutes of international football and can really control that midfield. And it's a position in that defensive midfield where we've kind of been searching for players over the last couple of years with um, Kellon Knight out injured. And I think that Claire Wheeler is is a clear in for me and probably one of the first players I'd be picking in a starting lineup come the final against Japan. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Georgia Yeomandale about the Matildas uh, as they navigate their way through the, uh, the Asian Women's Cup. But uh, before they do get to that final against Japan, there's uh, a massive assignment against uh, the Republic of Korea. They, uh, well, their uh, their neighbours, uh, the Northern Korean side, was suspended from this tournament, and uh, the the top ranked Asian Women's side. But uh, South Korea, 18 in the FIFA rankings compared to Australia, 11. They're managed by Colin Bell, who has got a uh, a 30-year history of managing sides, a former uh, pro in uh, in Europe, uh, but he uh, has really done some great things with South Korea. They uh, they managed to to, to get a, a late goal against Japan in the final group stage to, to finish equal on points and only miss top spot in the, the group based on goal difference. They, they're a serious danger side for, for the Matildas in this next match and uh, our defensive woes, which we've seen so often in the friendlies and, uh, and in the Olympics, uh, and even... Um, against Thailand uh, are, are really going to be tested. Yeah, well, this is a, a new challenge in this tournament. It's definitely the strongest team that we will have come up against so far. Um, South Korea, only second to Australia in this tournament um, in terms of international experience in their squad. I think a combined before the, the tournament started of 1,097 caps um, so it's a very, very experienced South Korea side. Key player in there is Ji So-young, who plays for Chelsea with Sam Kerr. So it is a, a challenge that we haven't faced and um, we talk about the, the squad rotation and being able to rotate that starting 11 in that final group stage is really going to play into our hands because we now have our arguably best starting 11 able to come in very fresh for this game, whereas South Korea, on the other hand, faced Japan, which was a, a huge challenge. So in terms of recovery, you'd have to think that Australia are in the best position here. Certainly are. And um, obviously, just just go through the, the quarterfinals. China will play Vietnam. Uh, the winner of that will take on the winner of Japan and Thailand, Australia, Korea, obviously, and then uh, Chinese Taipei and the Philippines. So um, you would think that we would, we should we beat Korea, that we will cop get the Philippines again in the semi-final. Um, so that's uh, an interesting quirk of the draw with the lucky losers going through. But what did you make of um, the match against the Philippines? It was uh, obviously a tight first half and it broke open for the Australians in the second half. But what did you make of the whole um, the whole build-up to that game? And in particular, um, just what the Philippines have done in uh, scaring the world for people with Filipino, Filipino heritage and bringing it together and uh, and obviously Alan Stajic's role in that. We should ask you about that. Yeah, well, I think it's been really impressive what the, the Philippines have been able to do in this tournament. Beating Thailand in their first group stage really set their tournament, um, tournament to a good standard and 
Um, I think that I, I was super impressed with them against the Matildas, their defensive um, structure and discipline that they had. They didn't sit back in, in a tight block, which we usually see from um, lower-ranked sides in Asia. They actually pressed us and, and made it really difficult for the Matildas to break them down. I think that the thing that really um, they struggled with was probably uh, running out of legs in sort of the 65th minute. But what Alan Stadjic has been able to do with that side, as you mentioned, um, recruiting, so to speak, some players from around the world with Filipino heritage uh, to really make them, put them in the best position to qualify for the World Cup. And that's something you know, we need to remember is that's their aim at the moment is to qualify for the World Cup. If they win their um, quarterfinal against Chinese Taipei, which is doable given the way that they're playing football, um, they will have qualified and then anything from there is sort of a cherry on top. So I'm sure that they'll be coming out um, in that semi-final if both sides get there um, to try and win. I want to ask you about the goalkeeping position. I can't work out what's going on, who's number one or number two. I'd really want to get your opinion on um, uh, what he's, you know, they've all had a go now. So who do you go with from this point on? Well, I think that Tony Gustafson's still trying to figure out who his number one is. Um, we haven't really been able to tell. I think that for me at the moment, um, Tegan Micah is probably the best all-round um, player in terms of her ability as a shot stopper as well as um, playing with her feet. Obviously, you've got Lydia Williams with the most experience and I think that Mackenzie Arnold probably sitting on the fringe of those two. So I think at the moment it's a, it's a tight tussle between Teague and Micah and Lydia Williams. But what a great problem to have in a squad of, um, you know, which, which goalkeeper do you choose? Because I think that a lot of the time teams have a clear number one and then really struggle when they have to play their second goalkeeper. So um, I think it'll it'll really depend on the style of football he wants to play. If he wants to use the goalkeeper to switch the ball, potentially we will see a Tegan Micah who is a lot more comfortable with the ball at her feet. Well, Georgia, we're all very excited about the Matildas' progress so far. It's in prime time Saturday, Sunday night uh, on Ten Bold. Uh, it's a it's a women's football double header with the uh, the A League women's prior to, to that. So, seven pm. You couldn't get a, a better time slot for uh, for everyone to to uh, get behind the, the girls and, and hopefully see a result against South Korea. No doubt. Um, that's what you're predicting, but, uh, but are you confident that um, that not only will we get through this one, that uh, that we'll be holding up the silverware at the end? Uh, is that a confident prediction you make, or are you still just a little bit nervous based on what you've seen so far? I'm confident um, in the performances that we're able to put together. I think that we've we've tried a lot of different things in the group stages, so there have been a few shaky moments, uh, but I'm confident that this squad, given what we've seen in terms of depth, will be able to get the job done, but it's going to be no easy feat, that's for sure. I think South Korea are going to be very, very tough. And then obviously, um, if we get to the final, Japan are always a big challenge and um, a side that we don't typically do too well against uh, when we do come again, up against them. But the experience and the, the quality of the players in the Matildas at the moment, I'm confident. 
That's what we like to hear, Georgia. We'll enjoy Sunday night and hopefully the rest of the tournament. And uh, as we get closer to the, the pointy end, uh, we'll be uh, enjoying your work and all the team on the 10 Network who are doing a magnificent job with Paramount Plus uh, on uh, football in general in Australia these days as uh, the, uh, the the big tournament uh, the big tournament comes to a conclusion over the next week and a half. Thanks a lot, Georgia. Thanks so much. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is stoppage time on Box to Box. Usually you know, these days it's uh, it's Derek's um, domain, but Willem's uh, got the, uh, the box seat for this one. He's going to talk to us about AFCON. We're going to do our best to sort of wrap up the World Cup qualifying before... Uh, uh, it gets too far down the track, the teams that have already made it, the teams that are on the brink, etc. cetera. Uh, but, Edge, you've got your usual couple of little tidbits that, um, that we get through now. Um, you, you love Pelé. We all love Pelé. But uh, but what's this little piece of uh, news you, you want to talk to us about with the great man? Well, he's been ill, hasn't he? He's been in hospital a few times. And despite the persistent rumours that uh, Pelé's health continues to decline, the 81-year-old's daughter issued a statement saying her father was recovering at home and was super strong after treatment on a colon tumour. Get well, great man, because when your daughter says you're super strong, uh, all those rumours can be dispelled. And uh, we hope the great man is uh, recovering and gets to enjoy a little bit more life. And uh, in particular, um, his uh, famous selection, the Brazilian national team. I've got something else I want to talk about too, Rob. Can we talk about the Hodgesaurus? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, we all sort of uh, thought he had been well and truly put out to pasture, uh, the great Roy, but uh, but one veteran replaces another. Absolutely. Well, since starting the 2019-2020 season amid claims of newfound stability, Watford have played 104 league matches under seven different coaches. What a shambles. Uh, what an absolute shambles. So the Hodgesaurus has been brought out and uh, he's... Uh, he might have been better saying, yeah, nah, I think I'll let that one pass. But no, he's actually um, taken the job. And I, I can remember in his last gig after a big win, uh, one of those post-match little uh, conferences, the three or four minutes after the final whistle goes, goes and uh, they asked him what he was going to do uh, to celebrate the big win. He said, I'll just uh, go home and put the feet up and have a cup of tea with the wife. <laughs> So the Hodgesaurus is back in the top flight of English football. Uh, good luck to... Um, he's, he's, he's in at the expense of Ranieri, isn't he? Who, in the words of Derek Dyson, is dilly-ding-dilly dilly gone. Uh, <laughs> that didn't last long. Another one who probably could have been better off just saying, thanks, but no thanks. I've got a, a magnificent reputation and I do not need to go to that basket case. Yeah, but obviously Roy wants another villa in the south of France. So good luck. But how, how many uh, managers have... Um... Have they had in the past? Two oh, it's, years. it's a ridiculous. It's extraordinary. The numbers are ridiculous. Games. It's ridiculous. And if you throw in the interim managers, it just blows out to fourteen in the last mm. six years or something like that. It's, it's a... I wonder what Elton thinks. The great Watford fan. I wonder what he. Can, can you refer to him by his correct name? Oh, Sir Elton. Or, or even Reggie Dwight, um, but no, you're right. And and as we speak, guys, this is this is uh, listeners, this is like real lifetime action. Um, I've just we're, we're recording the the show remote as we do often these days, particularly with Edge in Dubai. But uh, if the boys, um, in light of what we uh, we just talked about off the top of you, can you see your WhatsApp chat there, the little photo that's just popped up in there, guys? Uh, okay, right here. Have a look. 
And who's that? That is Pele with Rob Gilbert. Oh, very there you nice. Go. Oh, that was when you um, teed him up with Jackson Irvine's grandfather? I did, yes, that was right. It was back in, uh, oh, I think it was probably 10 years ago. Uh, Max Markson brought Pele out to Australia and uh, and uh, I, um, I managed to meet the great man and... And listen to uh, Les Murray um, interview him in a little fireside chat um, presentation. So yeah, it was a, it was a great moment. One of the, I've met a few people over the journey, but uh, yeah, n- n- not uh, not any that were bigger than than the great. Uh, Gigi cut a dashing figure there, Rob. Doesn't he, Willem? Eh? I mean, this is great oh, radio. We're talking. <laughs> about we'll post it, Willem. Post yeah, it. We'll post it. I can't believe I've just blown an opportunity to say it's Pelo with a fuck tallow, but. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I've blown it. I'm, I'm dirty on myself. Oh, no. All right, let's have a look at AFCON. We're down to the quarterfinals and the big dominoes really just have continued to fall. Algeria, Nigeria and the Ivory Coast have all joined Ghana on the scrap heap. Uh, and it's left an intriguing final eight. Uh, it really could be anyone. So coming up this weekend, uh, Sunday morning, early, early Australian time, Burkina Faso will play Tunisia. Egypt will play uh, Morocco. Egypt needed penalties to get past uh, the Ivory Coast, and I, I reckon they're out of puff. They just haven't been able to put it together. Uh, Senegal uh, will play Equatorial Guinea. Uh, that is uh, pretty amazing that Equatorial Guinea are the, the last remaining from a group that had um, the Ivory Coast and Algeria in it. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a cracking tournament. The, um, the goal of the tournament is going to be uh, particularly tough, Michael. I'm not sure if you've been tuning into the highlights, but the Comoros goal in their loss to uh, Cameroon was... Extraordinary. Yusuf Umchangama, uh, free kick from miles and miles and miles out. Uh, and the Comoros themselves were an incredible story. Did you see who was in goals for them? Salim Ben. No, it wasn't Salim Ben. It was uh, Chaco Al Hadour, who is a left back who plays in France. Uh, their main, main keeper was injured. They then had two positive Well, the main passes. keeper was Salim Ben. Oh, Salim Ben. Well, Salim was, uh, Salim was gone. Then his two understudies were also gone. So it was the left back who was in. He had the. Uh, he had the tape over his numbers on his shirt, like uh, like the local footy. Uh, made a couple of saves, and they did extremely well, having gone down to ten men early to uh, to only lose two one to Cameroon. Yeah, it's this tournament's got plenty of twists and turns in it to go. But um, yeah, look, Egypt. Do you think they're out of puff? Interesting, you say that. Um, I'm going to have a, a cup of coffee tomorrow with uh, Majid, my great Egyptian uh, colleague here in uh, in Dubai. I'll just throw him that little bit of uh, tasty tasty morsel and say my colleague on box to box says that your boys are out of puff hmm. uh, I I forgot a game as well I only mentioned three of the quarterfinals there the other one is the home nation Cameroon playing uh, the Gambia uh, also a yeah. word for Ashraf Hakimi for Morocco who plays for PSG uh, an extraordinary free kick against Malawi uh, and Malawi themselves have gone up through uh, that match through just yeah an unbelievable free uh, incredible goal so yeah go back and have a look through the uh, the highlights of the tournament because the goal of the tournament is going to be uh, particularly tough to pick Rob Garner they've sacked Milovan Rejevic it just didn't work you shouldn't have brought him back for a, for a second time and now that brilliant reputation built during the 2010 World Cup is a bit of a, uh, a sad footnote that they were the great foes of this comp yeah, it's uh, a situation that happens so often, isn't it, where somebody tries to sort of go back and revisit past glories. Ghana is a, an African nation with such a proud football history. We know all about that from, was it 2010, where we needed yep. them to beat Germany or at least uh, Germany to beat them for us to go through. And uh, uh, But, uh, yeah, it's I guess that's a, an indication of the, the strength and the improving the ball status. They kicked the ball amongst themselves for about 35 minutes in that game. Yeah. 
yeah, 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 they did. But but uh, but it's it's just an indication, similar to Asia, I guess, um, at an, at another level up, that um, that the smaller nations like Comoros uh, are are coming through and and genuinely being competitive. So yeah, the uh, the likes of the powerhouses of Ghana, etc., don't have it all their own way. Anymore. Can I um can so, I throw the running sheet out for a moment, Willem, and just reflect on the World Cup qualifiers for Africa that have been drawn? Oh, is a that's where I'm going. Oh, you're going to go there. Well, you going to go there. Beautifully lovely segue. Of course, we're going to go there. So, so that's AFCON quarterfinals over the uh, weekend. Separate to that is, of course, their World Cup qualifiers, which have been drawn. Uh, quick refresher: there's ten teams left, and they're each paired up against someone else, and they play a two-legger uh, to get the five final spots for the World Cup. Those matches to be played on the 24th. Uh, and the 29th of March. So the lineups are Mali against Tunisia, Congo against Morocco, the Liverpool grudge match, Rob, Egypt against Senegal, Salah against Sadio Mane. And then we have uh, arguably the two biggest matches, Cameroon against Algeria and Ghana against Nigeria, Michael. I'll tell you what, as far as African football goes, there is no bigger game than the co-tenants. They're right next to each other. Uh, they've had about 15 wars in their uh, history, and that's Ghana and Nigeria. It is massive. It is like absolutely ginormous. And um, the fact that uh, they got to play each other in a World Cup qualified leads to me to think there might have been some warm balls in the draw, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the old warm balls. Uh, so that, we've, we've touched on Asia. We've touched on Africa in terms of the World Cup qualifiers we know europe are having a bit of a hiatus their draws for their qualifiers have been set there in a couple of months but rob Concacaf still very much on at the minute and canada still very much in the running for their first world cup since 1986 yeah, it's a great story, isn't it? Um, they, um, as we uh, we've been going to where, been playing Honduras and two 0 up. Uh, USA second on eighteen points, so Canada nineteen, Mexico on seventeen, and the fourth place uh, team currently Panama. Likely to still be Panama. Panama with Costa Rica five points behind them, but the uh, the fourth place team plays, uh, as I'm sure you were going to say, the half spot that Oceania have, which was our old spot that, uh, that at the moment is down to either New Zealand, New Caledonia, or the Solomon Islands, or Tahiti, by the look of it. I've got a very important question to ask, Rob, about all mm. this. Is it Oceania or Oceania? Mm. You say tomato? I say tomato. There you go. To Conmebol, this is the South American region. We know that Brazil, Argentina, and Ecuador are just about, well, Brazil and Argentina are booked. Ecuador likely to join them, but that... Uh, that fourth spot is up for grabs. Some teams are halfway, you know, some have played 14, some have played 15. We'll know a bit more in a few days' time. But, uh, Michael, it still looks very much like Uruguay, Colombia, Peru, and Chile. Four teams we have history with uh, are going to finish fifth. One of them will finish fifth. If that doesn't make you, um, when you're listening to the podcast, uh, um, drop your coffee in your lap or choke on your Wheaties as you're eating breakfast listening to us, the prospect of playing one of those teams in a single match in uh, Qatar. <laughs> oh, if that doesn't scare the living bejeebies out of you, I'll tell you what. Uh, and Rob, the Brazil-Ecuador game was one that caught your eye out of the, uh, the four, 15th match day. Yeah, look, so Friday morning, um, I've, uh, I'm wandering through sport, as I think or, or anyone who listens to this show would do. I'm looking at being sport, and and, uh, and I catch the Brazil-Ecuador match, uh, which, if you haven't seen it, catch up with the highlights. Uh, 
the headline in, in the, uh, the Daily Express newspaper says, Ecuador versus Brazil descends into chaos with horror kung fu kick and red, red cards galore. So the kung fu kick was courtesy of the Ecuadorian keeper Alexander Dominguez. So it's a genuine kung fu kick uh, that he lays on the Brazilian forward Mateus Cunha. Uh, but Emerson Royale gets a second red card. So this, they're down to 10 men very early in the game. They're chaotic scenes, as they say. They weren't finished from there. As uh, as Allison, the Allison, of course, of Anfield fame, gets red carded twice, but comically gets a reprieve on both occasions by VAR, and both penalties rescinded. The final result ended up being two, one all, which was a, an amazing result for Ecuador because, as you've already indicated, Will, and they're likely to go through as as one of the the, the top handful of, of teams in in the group. But uh, uh, what they were trying to do was knock off uh, Brazil's thirty five consecutive matches undefeated, which. Uh, uh, is a, a, a world record and would have been a massive uh, feather in their cap. But yeah, watch the highlights of that game. Absolute pandemonium. All right, well, boys, well done. Let's wrap it up there. Next time we meet, hopefully, uh, the uh, the Socceroos will have knocked off Oman and uh, we'll have all seen the Matildas beat South Korea on Sunday night. We'll be joined by our friend Derek again next week uh, uh, when he uh, gets his foot off feet off the couch. Um, so, Willem, thank you very much again, mate. Enjoy the week ahead. Thank you, Rob. Great show. Enjoyed it the Socceroos and the Matildas. Absolutely. And Edge, uh, you're going to be back home soon, we hope. We'll see you face Yeah, I'm back home in a couple of weeks and uh, got a little bit more work to do here and then I'm done. And looking forward to coming back and uh, getting into that little studio with Damo and right. um, whacking you all around because <laughs> I'll tell you, you don't what. Need, you don't need to be in front of us to do that, Edge. <laughs> no, you don't. don't but um, enjoy the football on Tuesday night. It's going to be a hell of a ride for mm. Socceroos fans against Oman. All, I know a lot of you listen to the program. Enjoy it very much. It's going to be one of those very tense evenings. I think that we'll go down to the wire and we'll all be having a bit of a, a sneaky look too at Japan, mm. Saudi Arabia, in Tokyo. Mm. Well, that uh, is going to be a massive game at the top of group. Uh, our go. group uh, in Group B in the uh, the FIFA World Cup qualifiers. Go the Green Falcons. Absolutely, we want the Saudis to beat Japan, and then uh, and then it's game on in Sydney. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. And go Matildas! It's been a fantastic week in in world football. It's uh, when when the international windows are on, and we're getting down to the point of you know the World Cup qualifiers. Nothing better in our sport, Rob. Exactly. And what a week. We haven't even talked about the, the, the European competitions. That would probably be a first in 320-something episodes. And, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't thank our good friend Damien Tardio, who uh, not only presses the buttons, but edits out the bits and pieces that uh, we probably prefer to leave on the gutting room floor. Thank you to our yeah, There's a few of those just quietly. Once or twice. Uh, okay, so we'll see you next week. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter and give us a like on Facebook and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.